Well, let's stand together one more time and let's read this text this morning. Our next section in the letter of 1 Timothy is 1 Timothy, 3, 3, or 1 Timothy 5, 3-16. through 16. And uh, let's read this together in unison, then we'll pray and begin our study together this morning. Let's read this together. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. This is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work, but refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Beside that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. But let the church not be burdened, so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Let's pray together. Father, Thank You so much again for Your Word. You have given to us Your very words in this book. You have inspired these words through the apostles and prophets. And Father, this Word is sufficient. It is inspired. It is full of Your authority. We ask that You would help us by Your Spirit to understand and receive as it is in truth the Word of God. And let it be at work in us who believe. Father, we confess to You that the themes of this section have not often been on our hearts as they ought to be. We confess that for the whole church, um, even around the world, and certainly in America, Father, we do not take as seriously as we ought to the ministries often that, that, are, that are most important to You. We pray that You would teach us to do that. And that we would not be worldly in our ministry, but that we would be godly. Father, we ask You to do this in us. Thank You for the work of Jesus Christ in His righteousness and His death to cover us. And that You, you work in us and through us in spite of us. But Father, we are so grateful for the righteousness of Christ to cover all that our, our failures and our sins, even in ministry. But Father, we want to grow we want to become more Christ-like in all that we do. 
And we ask You to do this through Your Word. Even this morning, begin to plant seeds of growth and and maturity in our lives that we would change and, and be to the praise of Your glory. We ask these things in the name of Jesus and for, for His glory. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. How many of you have ever heard a sermon on widows? Would you raise your hand? Okay. A few. I don't think I've ever heard anyone preach on this text before. And I think there's something wrong with that. This is, it was surprisingly new to me as I walked through. So I've heard bits and pieces. And of course, I, you know, in seminary, they have us study through all the books of the Bible at least three times. And we just keep going through it and going through it and taking classes on it. But I don't think I've ever heard anyone systematically teach through this section. And I, I think it's fascinating. And it's convicting. And it's stirring. And I'm eager to understand with you what the Word of God says about the church's care for widows. And I'm hopeful that God will enable us as a local church to be obedient to His Word with this and that we'll learn how to be obedient in this way. Notice how much emphasis the Apostle Paul puts on this theme of caring for widows in this letter simply by how many verses he devotes to it. How many verses are devoted to describing the care and ministry of widows? There's 14 verses here for this section. It's not like a little second you know, priority comment. This is, this is a massive section describing the ministry of the body of Christ to and with widows. And that means to me that this is certainly a primary ministry of the body of Christ. In fact, and we'll look at this as we go, but one of the first ministries established in the early church was the ministry to widows. Acts chapter 6, right? The church is just forming. And then you see in Acts chapter 6 that the apostles did something drastic in order to make sure that their widows' needs were met. They They had seven men appointed to care for them. And I wonder how many ministry dollars in the average American church are designated to all kinds of entertainment ministry when in reality, much more of this support should be given to true widows. And this is a text that we truly need to consider carefully and prayerfully together as the local assembly of God. Well, the text divides up into two parts. And that's the way we're going to go through it. And Lord willing, it'll take us two Sundays. Verses 3-8 through really focus on the church's godly behavior toward widows who need support. Meaning, financial support. And certainly, spiritual support. Verses 9 through 16 focus not so much on the, the support, the financial, the material support, the care of widows, as much as they focus on the godly behavior of the church toward widows who serve the church. There's a list that is talked about where widows are put on that list and they become an effective group of women who serve the body of Christ. 
I think there's some overlap between those two groups, like I have kind of pictorially illustrated here. There's supported widows, there's serving widows, and then some are probably both supported and serving widows. And I think we'll see that as we look through the text. But remember, again, the overall theme of the letter of Timothy, 1 Timothy. Paul has written to Timothy to describe for him how the church ought to behave with one another and in the world. Why? Because we are God's family. God is our Father. Why? Because we are the church of the living God. Remember, 1 Timothy 3, 14-16, those key verses that explain to us the purpose of everything in this book. We're the, we're the church of the living God. The Spirit of God lives in us. We're the temple of God. And that causes us then to be the pillar and buttress of the truth. We are the the God-ordained entity in the world to preserve the gospel in integrity and then to proclaim the gospel in the world. And part of that ministry is how we behave with our widows. Now that's probably, again, not a popular thing in, in, in the contemporary church today, but it's something that God prioritizes, as we can see and we'll see here in this letter. Well, let's look at this first section this morning, the church's response or behavior to widows who need support. And I would like to introduce this first section by giving us a short overview of what the Bible says about widows. Have you ever walked through the Scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament, and just tried to get a handle on what the Bible teaches about widows? Because that's what informs Paul's instruction to us in this text. First of all, I want you to think about God's care for widows. Does, how does God Himself respond to widows? Psalm 68, 4-6 says, Sing to God, sing praises to His name, lift up a song to Him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord, exult before Him. Verse 5, listen, Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in His holy habitation. That's how God wants to be known. That's how He's revealed Himself. That is at the heart of God, who is His very character. That he, is a, he is the Father of the fatherless and the protector of widows. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to pros- prosperity. But the rebellious dwell on a parched land. Have you noticed, and I'm sure you have as you read through Scripture, how much God has a heart for those who are brought low. He delights in showing mercy and being compassionate to lift them up and to minister to them and show Him His great love. Psalm 145, 5-9 Blessed is He whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. Listen, the Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless but the way of the wicked He brings to ruin. Proverbs 15.25 The Lord 
tears down the house of the proud, but maintains the widow's boundaries. Deuteronomy 10, 17-19, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. He loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Isn't that interesting? This is part of the revealed glorious character of our God. He loves to care for those in need, particularly by name, widows. Now, how, does, how is that character, that glorious, compassionate, loving character of God applied in the Old Testament life of the people of Israel? Well, let's look at that for a moment. So, the application of God's care among the people of Israel. Exodus 22, 22-24 says, You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. So, the heart of God and His character becomes a law in Israel among His people. You shall not, you shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them, listen to this, If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sword and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. Isn't that? That's profound. That God would say, I want you to live like me. I want you to love the widow and care for them. Otherwise, if you don't, if you mistreat them, if if you take advantage of them, then I will make your wives widows and your children fatherless. Wow. Deuteronomy 14, 28-29, At the end of every three years, you shall bring out all the tithes of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner, and the fatherless, and the widow who are within your towns, shall come and eat and be filled, and the Lord your God may, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. That's something. Right? Bring your tithes, people of Israel. Make sure the widows get what they need to survive, to live, to, to meet their needs. And if you do, I'll bless you. I'll bless the work of your hands. Deuteronomy 24, 17-22. You shall not pervert the justice due to the sojourner or to the fatherless or take a widow's garment in pledge. But you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt and that the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this when you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field. You shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner the fatherless and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterward. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless and the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. Notice how all of this behavior with, with God and His people is rooted in His redemption of them. Because I brought you out of slavery, I want you to be generous and compassionate and merciful on those around you who have great need. 
And then in the prophets, obviously we as God's people, we, we fail to keep these laws, right? We're sinful. We are sinful. We're selfish. Newsflash, right? We are selfish. We are sinful. And so Israel was too. And so the prophets of God came back and called them to repentance in this area of living as well. Isaiah 1, 16-18, Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil from your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. And that's the same call to repentance all through Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Zechariah and Malachi. In fact, Malachi 3.5 5 says, Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a, a, a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, <clears throat> against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless. God takes judgment and witness against those who oppress the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. So you see this in the character of God. You see this in the behavior of Israel. Then you see it also in the life of Christ. Luke 7, 11-15, the story of the widow of Nain. Remember that story? Soon afterward, he went down, Jesus went down to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. And then he came up and touched the bier. And the bearers stood still, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Would you have liked to have attended that funeral? Wow. You know, see, for the, for the widow, she didn't have anyone to provide for her. If her husband dies, her sons would. Now her son is dead. And so Jesus, certainly knowing this and having the heart of compassion that his father has, touched what the son was laying on and came to life. Luke 18, of course, is the story of how there was a widow in a city who kept coming to a judge and asking the judge, give me justice, and the judge wouldn't. He refused, but afterwards said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice and so that she will not beat me down in, by her continual coming. And of course, Jesus compares the faith or the persistence of that woman to faith in prayer with God. Jesus has a section in Mark 12, 38-44, where He... he um, he convicts in his speaking the Pharisees and he says in his teaching, he says, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at the feasts. 
who do what? Who devour widows' houses, right? taking advantage of the, the un- less fortunate. And for pretense, make long prayers, they receive the greater condemnation. And of course, he gives then an illustration of how the religious system of the day was taking advantage of widows. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box, many rich people in large sums. The poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put more in than all those who are truly or who are contributing to the offering box, for they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all that she had to live on. This is Jesus' perspective of widows. And then, the very notice this too, the, the, the moment of Jesus' death, right before he died, he spoke to two people. Who were they? Well, one of them was the John, right? his disciple. And what did he say to John? He said, woman, behold your son. Son, behold your Mother, what was he doing? He was caring for his widowed mother, making sure she had someone to care for her. Jesus, in his final days, and then, of course, the other, the final moments, and of course, the other person was his, his, uh, the one who was crucified next to him, the, the thief. Today you'll be with me in paradise. So the two things that Jesus spoke about were caring for widows and, and, and telling, telling a, a sinner lost next to him the gospel. This is Jesus' heart for widows. And then, Again, our final point of introduction here. How does all this then begin to work itself out in the early church? So we have the heart of God. We have the, the behavior of, uh, of the Israelite people toward, toward widows. The life of Christ and then the, God's care, the application of God's care in the early church. And as we said earlier, Acts 6, 1-6 through 6 is the beginning of that. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Distribution of food and provisions. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up the preaching of the word to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit of wisdom, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. But what they said, and what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man of full of faith, and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And then also in Acts chapter 9, you see a very wonderful story of of a woman who cared for widows. This is, again, the precedent in the New Testament, the early church. Now, there was in Joppa, Acts 9, 36-43, there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas, and she was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come with us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. 
all the widows stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. Evidently, this woman in the church, in, in, in this particular city, there was a group of women who were being supported by Dorcas. Well, and she had passed away, and so they were grieving over her loss. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, sat, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her. Then, calling the saints and the widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon a tanner. And then the final text here. The earliest book of the New Testament. James. Letter of James. In chapter 1, what does James say is true religion? Visiting the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So there's a brief overview of what we see in Scripture. There's, there's so much more, but I just wanted to give you some highlights. Here's the heart of God. Here's the life in Israel. Here's the life in the early church. Here's the life of Christ. All working to care for the widow. So how are we to respond in the church to this understanding of God's care? How are we to respond to this? Well, verse 3, here is the central idea for this section, verses 3 through 8 in particular. Honor widows who are truly widows. Honor widows. Why? Again, ultimately, because this is God's family. This is the household of God. 3, 14 through 16 in 1 Timothy. Is, this is his church, his dwelling place. We're the pillar and buttress of the truth. And notice, remember what Jesus taught us, John 13, 34 to 35. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I want to make a distinction about this verse. I have to be careful with something here. The church is not set in the world to, to be a social organization that meets all the material needs of the unbelieving community. That's not why we're here. And we can give, and we should. But what is Jesus talking about? He's saying, how does the world know that we are His disciples? Is it how we love the world? Is that what He's talking about? No. How we love one another in the body of Christ. That's what Jesus is saying. How do we care for the family of God? And those who are in the world will look in on that and say, I want to be a part of that. How can I, how can I enjoy that kind of love? That's the way it should be. In a sense, the church is like a fishbowl. The world looks in and sees the love that people have for each other and then wants to be a part of it. That's convicting, isn't it? We fall short. We fall short of who God wants us to be. And so we ask Christ to grow us in His love. Now this command from Paul is the logical consequence of all the Old Testament, New Testament precedent up to this point. And certainly it's a consequence of the fifth commandment to honor our parents. To honor our widows in these texts includes certainly both spiritual and physical support to provide for them, to protect them spiritually and even physically. 
spiritually through loving oversight and physically through material and financial support. This is what it means to honor widows. To hold them in loving regard and to provide for them some of what has been taken away with the departed husband. Honor widows who are truly widows. Now, the main question that this text seeks to answer is which widows in the church are we to support and care for or honor? Which ones? All of them? That's what we have to understand. What are the qualifications for being a church-supported widow? Should we call it that? A church-supported widow. And I have two points here this morning with this. Number one, widows who have no support from family. Widows who have no support from family. This is verses 3 and 4, 7 and 8 and 16. It's kind of uh, broken up a little bit to try to get all of the information from this text about this particular point. I want to read these for you again. Verse 3, honor widows who are truly widows. But look at verse 4. But if a widow has children and grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own households, to make return. Let them support that widow. And we'll talk about the motivations Paul gives there. Look at verses 7 and 8. Command these things. And Paul has said that a few times now for Timothy, right? He says, Timothy, command these things in the church. There's no options here. This is what God calls the church to. Command these things as well. Why? So that we may be without reproach, right? We want to be the pillar and buttress of the truth. We want to hold high the truth of God. And then he gives a very negative motivation here. If anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for members of his own household, he has denied the faith. He is worse than an unbeliever. Notice also, Verse 16, if any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. So what is very, very clear in this, in this text is that the first, the primary responsibility of caring for a widow falls to the children and grandchildren. So letter A, the children and grandchildren have the primary responsibility. The church will care for them if there's no support from family. Let's talk about this, this care from children and grandchildren for a few moments. First, I want you to understand the cultural context here. Under the Roman culture <clears throat> in which this letter was written, a dowry would be given with a bride, right? The dowry would be kept by that bride's husband. And if the husband died, then that, that bride, that widow, would be cared for by the dowry holder, whoever that was. And and if her husband died, most naturally that that dowry would go to a son if she had the son. And if that didn't happen, then the dowry could even go back to her father and the widow could go back to her parents' home and be cared for there. The dowry became the financial security for a widow so that whether her son or her father, she would be taken care of. And even in the Roman system, there was a moral and legal obligation upon the family to care for the widow. This became law in in the days of Paul. And you also remember, in the Jewish culture, 
of the Old Testament, it was a moral and legal obligation of the married of the of an unmarried brother of the of the the man who died to marry the widow. For example, remember the story of Judah and Tamar in Genesis. He had a brother, right? Her husband, Tamar's husband, died, and there was two, three brothers. And Judah said, "I promise, I'll give you, I'll give you, I'll give you the brother." And he never did, and never did, and so on. But it was the law in Israel that the brother of the deceased man would marry his widow as long as he was unmarried and bring up children in his brother's name. So important here. Illustrations of this are like Ruth and Naomi, right? You had a you had a uh, two women who lost their husband, but what happened to to Ruth? What what happened to her? The nearest unmarried relative took her in, Boaz, right? They called the kinsman redeemer, right? It was so important in their culture that that there would be continually given a seed to see God's promises fulfilled, but also that the widows would be cared for. Now, we see Paul's command. Honor the widows who are truly widows. Well, how are we going to do this? Parents or parents who are widowed are to be cared for by children and grandchildren. And these, these uh, commands he here are, are accompanied by some positive motivations. Notice the first one. Why should children and grandchildren take care of their widowed mother or grandmother? First, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household. That is a very powerful statement. Let them first learn. Seek to learn by experience. Learn by taking her in and show godliness in your household by caring for your widowed parent. Paul is saying to us there, saying to his readers, that true religion, right, true worship, true piety, True spirituality, true Christ-likeness begins where? At home. He could say to us, I don't care how many classes you teach. I don't care how many times you're at church in the week. I don't care what disciples you'd make. What about your home life? Are you caring for those in your home the way God commands you to? True godliness always starts in the home. Such an important principle. So let the family of the widow, care for her. Second motivation here, make some return to their parents. That's a powerful statement as well. Make some return to their parents. Think about it. We have parents. All of us have had parents. And how much have they given to us from the day we were born to the day we left the house? Giving, 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 giving. And then how many of us may think in the days ahead when my parents need, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to give back to them. I'll just, I'll just let the state take care of them. How often does that happen in our world? Right? And, and we, we totally forget about all the investment that has been poured into us. And so Paul says, you make some return to those parents. You care for them in their final years. You care for them in the final years. This, this certainly doesn't mean that we, we can't use things that have been established in our culture to care for elderly people who need professional care, but so many would just drop them off at the doorstep per se, and, well, that's done. No, right? We're called to give care back because they have given to us 
so many years in the childhood. And then the last motivation, it is pleasing in the sight of God. Pleasing in the sight of God. And in this pleasing sense here, again, it's not a salvific sense, but in Christ, this is an act of service that is agreeable to God. It's a welcomed activity by our Heavenly Father. It is like Him. And so with those motivations in mind, Paul says, honor widows. And that starts with the family. All right, what if there is no grandchildren or children to take care of the widow? Well, there's a second line of responsibility, and Paul addresses that in really in verses 7 and 8 and then 16. Other family beyond that. Okay, there's no sons, no daughters, no grandchildren. Well, what about beyond that? Notice, command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. Look at verse 8. If someone does not provide for his own relatives, especially for members of his own household. So he's almost making a distinction here between members of the household and other relatives. So there's, there's a call from Paul that closer relatives and even more distant relatives would honor their widows and provide for them. I think an illustration of this could be in Acts chapter 9, verses 36 through 43. Like we talked about, Dorcas provided for these widows. You can see that, that illustrated so very well in verse 16. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. It's again, pulling on the family. Take care for them. And of course, with this motivation, or with this command, Paul gives profound negative motivations that are, that are very heavy. He says, first, if, if this doesn't happen, if we're not providing for our widows in this way, the person who refuses to do that has denied the faith. What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, to leave this responsibility unfulfilled is not only to disobey the clear commands of Christ, of Christ's apostle, but it's to turn away from a service that, that, that is impassioning to the heart of God and the heart of Christ. This is, this is how God is. This is how His people are. We say no to that. To, to leave this responsibility unfulfilled would be to turn away from the kind of love that is the clearest and, and most practical embodiment of the Christian faith. For us to deny obedience to this responsibility would be to deny an activity that demonstrates the faith that we say we believe. And that would Paul would say would also not only cause us to, in essence, deny the faith, but make us worse than unbeliever. What does that mean? The point is this. Even unbelievers have God's law written on their hearts. Romans chapter 2, 12-16. And do by nature what the law says. Paul talks about the conscience there. And says, yes, even unbelievers often do by nature what the law says. So even unbelievers will care for their own. Even unbelievers have made throughout history and even in time, current time, have made legal provisions and laws for caring for the helpless. Well, what about the church? Well, they're here. Why haven't we talked about these before, right? These are so important to work through. Paul talks about this. How much more ought the family of God to care for widows who are truly widows? If we don't, Paul says, we are worse than unbelievers. That's a profound statement. So honor widows who are truly widows. The primary responsibility belongs to children and grandchildren. Secondary responsibility belongs to other family members, some closer, others more distant. And then finally, 
if there is no one else to care for them, then the church has what we could call, let us see in your outline, the tertiary responsibility. God calls the church to make sure that true widows have the spiritual, their spiritual needs, their physical needs met. Now, let me just make a qualification here. Today, widows' needs are often met by life insurance, right? For the deceased husband, or pensions, or even some sort of uh, military uh, benefit, or even social security, or government assistance. And that's fine. That's good. That's a wonderful blessing from God. Sometimes widows are able to work. And that's fine too. In, in the days of the early church and before that, there, there wasn't good jobs for a single woman to have. But there is some now. And that's, that's a good thing. But here's the point. If and when a true widow comes into need, it's the responsibility of her family to meet those needs. And if there's no family then the church is called by God to meet those needs. And the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, calls us to take this very seriously. We are to embrace the heart of God in this and show mercy and compassion and loving kindness to those who are brought low. And think about it this way. We demonstrate the gospel. We demonstrate the gospel of God by bringing widows up out of their desperate circumstances and care for them in loyal love. Now, how might a church do that practically? Have you thought through that? That's a challenging thing to think about. What if there comes in our midst a true widow who has no support for various reasons? How do we do that then? Well, how can we begin? I think... I think we can begin this way. All of us, especially church leadership, I think we need to, be, to, to keep a caring eye on the members of our fellowship who are widows. Let's start there, right? Keep a caring eye on them. Are we aware of how they're doing, what needs are in their lives, and how they're being met? And then I think, secondly, we can be praying for them. Pray for them watchfully and, and, and personally and talking with them and and. and Keep doing that perseveringly. And then I think we should be attentive to their needs, thirdly, spiritually, physically. We need, it's, it's, a, it's, a work of, it's a labor of love to make sure their needs are being met. We need, as a church, um, I, think we can, I think we can encourage even, maybe on occasion, their family members to take care of it. Maybe we might become aware of a need that their family doesn't even know about. Sometimes. Church members are closer together than, than often extended family. And maybe we could be used by God to, to alert the family to a need. But again, specifically according to Paul's point, we need to carefully discern whether or not they are truly widows. And if, and if we discover that there are any true widows, then we need to be prepared to support them, even with finances, as the Lord enables us to. I think that's what this text would lead us to. And that certainly makes their care a priority in our corporate body, doesn't it? That's a, that's a wonderful and, and, a, and a sobering priority. So Paul calls us to honor widows who are truly widows. Now, the question that Paul continues to answer is then, who is a true widow? First, what? 
No family to support and help them, right? That's the first part. Second, not every woman who has lost her husband to death is a true widow that would require church support. So there's more qualifications that Paul has been talking about or that he he is going to continue to talk about. So what are the qualifications? And I'll just read them to you and we'll look at them in a couple of weeks. Number two, Paul says, secondly, widows who are godly. And we see this then in verses 5 and 6. First, who is left all alone, those kinds of widows, left all alone. Secondly, has set her hope on God. And what? Continues, thirdly, in supplications and prayers night and day. There's the third qualification. And then he gives two negative qualifications, which would mean widows who are unlike this. Verse 6, but she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. So God calls the church to support not any and every widow, but those who are truly alone, which is really a summary of what we've talked about already in the first point, but then has set her hope on God, continues in supplications and prayers night and day, who is not self-indulgent and is not spiritually dead. So we'll look at those together next week and continue prayerfully to ask the Lord to teach us His will in these things. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we thank You that You have given to us Your Word in in these things, and we ask that You would teach us to see this as You see it. And give us the ability to be obedient to You. Apart from You, we can do nothing. And Father, we are so grateful as Your people that You, You have pulled us out of slavery to sin, out of our spiritual poverty, out of our our total depravity and deadness and sin and and our great need. You've lifted us up and met our needs and made us Your sons and daughters and cared for us. And Father, help us to show Your kind of love, Your fatherly love, Your saving grace by how we care for those in need like true widows in our body. Father, let us have that kind of love and generosity and care. And Father, again, we we, we confess that, that this is not something we can do in our own strength and on our own provision. We need You. Thank You for the righteousness of Christ that that covers us in our our failure to be this way. And we ask that You would change us and make us a church that is honoring to You in this regard. Our hearts are open to You, Father. Teach us. And may You be glorified. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.